This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Jamie Moldavsky views herself as a customer champion, and it's not just because she's occupied the CMO chair at one of America's largest banks for nearly a decade. It's partially because of the chances she's taken in her career, but more so her desire to impact her customers every day. On this episode of Marketing Trends, the Wells Fargo CMO sits down to discuss her passion for marketing, how Wells Fargo is working to treat their 70 million customers as individuals, and how listening to and empathizing with your customers during times of crisis could pay big dividends down the road. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we are joined by special guest, Jamie. What's going on? Hi, how you doing, Ian? Well, I am sitting here in my home, as are most people probably listening to this, and you as well, I believe, and uh, just trying to navigate this new world that we're in. But it's all good. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is. It is indeed uh, all good. I feel. I feel fortunate to be uh, to be at home and to have a little spare uh, spare closet under the stairs that I can do my recording from. I'm actually not in the closet <laughs> under the stairs, but I do actually have one of those, and my niece calls it the Harry Potter closet. There you go. Well, hopefully you're, they're not shoving your music. You do have access <laughs> to food and and necessities like coffee. Yeah, indeed. We're not all here for the Harry Potter talk. We're going to get into what it's like to be CMO of Wells Fargo, a little bit about you know your background. We'll talk about how to market during a crisis. So let's get into it. How did you get started in marketing in the first place? Yeah, well, I'm very lucky because I grew up in a home with two very creative parents, and so my initial thought was that maybe I'd enter the world through some creative field. I majored in English actually, but I took a lot of art. Uh, when I was younger. And then when I first got out of college, uh, one of my first jobs was actually at a brokerage firm where I was hired as a, just kind of a marketing assistant. And that was mostly because my boss thought I was a good writer, right? So I kind of got into it through the writing angle, but very quickly really enjoyed the commerce side of it, really enjoyed the commercial aspect of marketing. And so really throughout my career, even though at times I've been really tempted to lean more into the creative side and to even make a move toward that, I've always stayed on the business side. And I think it's just that I love being able to bring the creativity uh, that exists out in the world and bring that to bear on behalf of customers and communities and businesses. And so from a very early age, I loved seeing great marketing and great advertising. Uh, but I loved it for what it felt to me and what, how it moved me to do things and to feel things. And I think uh, sitting on the business side, I always take that with me, which is that passion for touching somebody and making them feel a certain way and driving them to a certain action. And so it's a great combination to be able to work on the business side. Uh, and yet, I may not be the most creative person, but being able to tap into such an incredible wealth of creative people that are out in the marketplace. So what's it like to be CMO of Wells Fargo? What are the things that, uh, what is, how's your team arranged? What are the things that you're focused on? Yeah, well, it's been a really great journey at Wells Fargo for me. It's been, I've been in this role 
uh, for coming up on nine years, uh, which is in the in the land of CMOs, um, quite a long tenure. Uh, and I think that's because the role has really been changing and adapting, and the company's been changing and adapting. And uh, fortunately, I think people value. Uh, the different qualities and skills that marketing brings to bear in the organization. And so when I took this role initially, it was really more of a corporate marketing type function. So as with a lot of companies, right, kind of corporate advertising, sponsorships, uh, market research, things at that kind of enterprise level. Uh, And then really about five years ago, we actually centralized all of marketing in the company. And a lot of that was because of the changes in consumer behavior, that consumers didn't want to be engaging with what felt like different companies. And I always use the analog of like an Amazon. And if in companies, if you engage with a company and they made you log on and off every time you went between the stores of Amazon, you wouldn't like that experience, right? You expect companies to know you holistically, to think about your experience end to end. And so we, over the last four years, have really been focused on how do we bring both the skill sets and capabilities, as well as the mindset and the talent, to think about our customers end to end journey and to think about their experience holistically and to treat them as kind of a one customer of the company, even though we may engage with them in many, many different businesses at different times and channels. So it's been kind of a really great process to be able to start to bring that together in a, in a time when all these channels are converging. And it's been, you know, I think for any marketer right now, how you leverage the omni-channel world uh, is always requires navigation. And so that's been at the heart of my role at Wells Fargo is how to bring together that customer centricity and that end-to-end experience across the company so that the, our customers, and we have 70 million um, customers, so we, we actually bank one out of three households in America, that those individuals feel like an individual and feel that we know them as much as possible. So today, my role at Cubbus is all of those things that also has some kind of unusual pieces. I'd say most CMOs always have one or two things that are different in every company. And in ours, it's that we have 12 museums. Uh, we have a stagecoach program. So we actually have a line item where we have um, care and feeding of our horses. So that one's pretty unique for me. I think Budweiser might be the only other company that has that. Uh, but there are a lot That's of things so we cool. run meeting and events for the company. Uh, we manage all the social media for the company. So similar to what you'd find in other companies, but we do all of the marketing uh, for our products, for our channels, and then again at the enterprise or corporate level. And I'm glad that you brought up this fundamental change in a marketer where kind of so much of the old way was categorized as, you know, how do we reach people at scale to inform them about our products and services? And now just hearing you talk about the shift between a customer centric journey is so interesting because, you know, like back in the day, it's like, well, you know, look at our company, we have a product for all these different things. Like, do you need a, you know, small business loan? Do you need this? Do you need that? Whereas like now it's almost less advantageous to have all of that from a marketing perspective, because it's so much more confusing. And like you said, you don't have the same, um, pass through that someone who like a competitor that's just going after one of those hyper specific verticals that they're going to have an extremely seamless customer centric journey because they have a very clear value proposition. It's only one thing. I'm curious, like, how do you think about marketing with so many different types of products and different sort of things? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great point. Cause if you think about it, right, like 
in our industry, as in many industries, to your point, the, the create the kind of birth of monolines or single product companies has really taken off. And part of that is because, you know, the generations now are comfortable navigating digitally across lots of different companies and websites. But I will tell you, if nothing else, the moment in time that we are in right now also brings to bear how important a relationship is and how much people want you to know them across different products and services. And so even though uh, when you're buying something, it's sometimes nice to say, oh, I don't really care where I buy it from. In a time of crisis or in a time of change or in a time when suddenly information and service become important, uh, that ability to think end-to-end, think across, and service somebody across all of those different touch points becomes really powerful. And what we're seeing is for like a Wells Fargo today or any service organization, that combination of face-to-face and phone and mobile and digital and the ability to not only transact today on my mortgage, but transact today on my mortgage and my small business loan and my deposit account become really important. And so when people are contacting us right in this moment, the contact is help me, right? I need you to help me. And they don't want to make five different phone calls. They don't really want to sit on the phone with a mortgage provider for an hour and a half and then call somebody else for another hour and a half. And or if they can even get through, because so many companies now in the origination or, or product purchase piece of things is great because you don't need a lot of service. But when you suddenly have an environment where you do need service, do they have physical locations? Do they have call centers? Do they, are they staffed to handle that volume? And so I think times like this are very make or break for customers because, and for companies because the expectation and the need shifts very, very quickly. And I think the survivors and the thrivers will be the organizations that are able to understand what it is their customers need and adapt in the moment. And so even though I think sometimes in the financial services industry, as an example, we we worry and we lament that we've got a lot of people who are kind of pulling apart our model and, and are able to compete with us at, at, at any one point on a given product or a given channel. What you realize at points like this is there's also this emotional and um, service mindset that comes with being a company that is as broad and deep as we are that actually proves itself in times like this. And so it's really fascinating because I think uh, there's certainly room for both, obviously, in the economy. But I think sometimes the, the desire is to say, oh, the, move, the world's moving this way and not that way. And I think sometimes during times like this, you realize, well, there's probably space for a lot of different models. Uh, they just show themselves as stronger sometimes than others. Well, and the other piece of this that we talk about a lot on this show is the idea of like fight where you can win. And that's one of the things where, you know, with financial security um, and your financial safety, like where you go matters, right? And to be, you know, with a company that has been around for a hundred plus years, like that carries a huge, you know, weight of importance for people that like, hey, this company has been around 100 years, we're going to be around, you know, another 100. Um, People want that type of security. And I'm curious, like, when you, when you join the organization and becoming CMO, do you kind of feel like the weight of, hey, this has been around a long time? And, uh, you know, I have an obligation to to keep the stagecoach rolling? Oh, absolutely. And I I appreciate your, uh, your reference to the stagecoach, because absolutely. I mean, it's a, when I came into this role, part of what I did feel is that I'm the custodian, right, of our of our history, but also of our future. Uh, and then it is a brand that even if we modernize it and evolve it, which we have to, and even if we especially focus on a more relevant, meaningful, 
digital first experience that the values of who we are and the proven ability to weather um, over time is really incredibly powerful. And it's interesting when I, uh, we had an opportunity at one point to talk to uh, the New York Stock Exchange and it was a couple of years ago, but they said, all the companies come to the New York Stock Exchange and say, we want to be just like Google or Amazon. And, and he said what he, they tell people is, well, you might want to be like Levi's or like Wells Fargo, because what you really want to be is a company that can, can weather all of the different crises and, and eras that they're going to have to go through and can reinvent themselves continuously. That being, and you know, I'm sure that Google and Amazon and others will be able to do that. But his point was that um, having been able to demonstrate that you can persevere during all different kinds of environments is innovation, right? You reinvent yourself for the situation you're in. And at Wells Fargo, we've done that for 160 years. So it is something that I feel very strongly we've done. But to your point, I have this custodianship of making sure that we continue to do it for the future. So part of this is how do we ensure that we bring forward the important parts of our history, and yet we are not so beholden to that history that we can't continue to evolve to be more relevant and to be um, hyper-relevant, right, in a world where a lot of competitors are coming into our space uh, and are able to, as you said, in some ways innovate much faster because they're starting from a very small base. I mean, when you think about anything we do, we have to think about how do 70 million people do it. Uh, that by in and of itself can be constraining. On the flip side, if you're a startup, right? You don't think about that. You just go right into the market. You know, we have technology and capabilities that um, often are, are older and require more adaptation, but all of that becomes an opportunity. And so I, as you said, I feel very strongly, it's a great honor to get to do it. It's also a real burden because you really do feel a sense of responsibility for what is this brand for the next 20, 40, 60 years. And everything we're doing right in this moment today is actually thinking about that, which is what's the Wells Fargo that as a marketer that I want people to experience over this next two weeks, four weeks, eight weeks, as long as COVID lasts and the remnants are, that are going to last for months afterwards, how do we show up? Right. And as a marketer, I think sometimes we tend to think about the messaging side of what we say, but I think more than ever, the role of a marketer and a CMO is about how we show up. And that includes actions and offerings and uh, accommodations. Well, this is another piece that that is really interesting about Wells Fargo that you you mentioned earlier that it's in um you know one in three houses like households um like for example uh Wells Fargo my mortgage was through Wells Fargo um and it was something that I you know I don't know how mortgages work but you know it got you know bought and traded and whatever and a million other right. things and then so right so Wells Fargo owns it so I became a a Wells Fargo customer. Right. Without even kind of like yep. intentionally choosing. doing that at that. Yeah. yeah choosing. But what was so interesting about that experience is that like what an opportunity. Right. And so so many people have an experience with Wells Fargo or stories or like, you know, a history with the company in some form or fashion. Right. And like what an advantageous position to, you know, to continue to deliver on that customer experience. I remember I have so many of these types of stories, but so my dad used to uh, have vending machines and one of the ones was the Wells Fargo in, uh, in uh, near, on the way to Berkeley and between Oakland and Berkeley on like College Avenue. So I, I remember going to the Wells Fargo like every week and like filling their snack, you know, whatever. But so the reason why I say that is because I love people that. have, yeah, it's crazy uh, for years and years and years. Um, I counted the coins. That was my job. 
But so the people have a history with the company, like one in three people, right? Like 70 million people have a history with that and probably even more than that. And when you have such a massive customer base, which is like, you know, uh, which is a very rare thing, um, you're kind of in rarefied air in terms of like how you can continue to create experiences for them because there's just not that many people that have that many customers, you know what I mean? So I'm just curious, like, how do you like organize your your team to think about these customer experiences? You know, how do you, you know, you consider yourself a customer champion. Like, what does that look like? Like, how does that shape how you are as a CMO? It's a great question. And, it, and it's not easy, right, to your point, because I think, um, in general, we, we are a hybrid of a product company, a channel company, and a customer company, right? And so clearly, as you used the analog with your mortgage, right, you came in to Wells just through a mortgage. So your experience with us was very much through a product lens. Um, sometimes we get customers who come in who um, are going through a major life change and inherited money and want some advice and counsel. And we end up doing a lot of business with them, but we start much more from a position of what is it you're trying to do and what's important to you into your life. And, and then sometimes it really is more of a channel, which is just people literally walk into a branch, they move into a neighborhood and they say, Hey, I need to open up a checking account. And this still happens every day. And, and still, even though it's a digital age and people open up all their new accounts mobily, people want to know that there's a physical place that they can go. And especially for times like the ones we're in right now. And so it's really interesting because we, have to think both in terms of all the different options that customers have to engage with us, whether it's products or channels. Uh, but then when we engage with them, we have to know them as an individual across those channels and products and across time. And as a marketer, that's when your head explodes, usually, <laughs> when it gets to the Rubik's Cube of how do, we, how do we best talk to these customers. And so, you know, a lot of how we are structured is both in support of our major businesses, but also in support of customers from a segment standpoint. And again, it's not always perfect because people don't sit in any one segment per se, uh, but clearly there are different types of customers who have different kinds of needs at different times. And so a great example is small business, right? We have a team that is, is responsible for helping market to small businesses. And what's great about that, like right in this moment, is that we will be an important piece of the government's legislation around supporting small businesses. And we already have a really strong, strong small business marketing team who is thinking about what do small businesses need from us? What do they need to hear? How do we reach them? What's the fastest way to reach them? Uh, what's the content that we have that we can deploy quickly through what channels? But then are, do we have other partnerships that we need to draw on? And I think um, a lot of what I see as my job is to help, you know, ideally we're, we would be in a one-to-one -one marketing space all the time. So how do we take our data uh, and it's a lot of data, obviously, and partnerships with third parties and tailor our messages as best as possible to that individual for where they are and where they, when they are. And sometimes that's going to feel more segmented and sometimes that's going to feel truly one-to-one. -one. And sometimes that may be a mass message, but to that individual, it's very relevant. And so I will tell you, that's where we spend, I spend a lot of my time now on the data and technology side. Um, with our obviously things like artificial intelligence and working to ensure that wherever possible across our channels, we're engaging with our customers with the right content at the right time. And so you have to take those 70 million and balance the scale of that 70 million with every individual customer. And thank heavens for technology and data 
uh, that you can bring those together increasingly to do that. So how do you do that? I mean, are you working with like, do you have a data science team that's on your team? Are you working with like the CIO or the CTO? Like, do like, how do you how do you actually, you know, pull those those insights and then, you know, feed them back to your team? Yeah. And it's a partnership. And I think um, as with many companies, I'm sure the, as you said, the data management team is an integral part of uh, who we work with. They actually house for all of the kind of artificial intelligence modeling that takes place because there's a lot, as you would expect, of regulatory oversight for a bank um, with respect to the data that you have and how you use it. And I think for us, we know that you know, being trusting our customers, trusting us with their data and using that data responsibly is foremost uh, important. Uh, but the marketing organization, we do have data scientists. And more importantly, we have the individuals that can help translate, right, that, that data and that targeting with the right message and the right creative, right, to the right customer through the right channel. And so what we find is that the artificial intelligence and the big data modeling is providing kind of the fuel. It's the brain, if you will. But then if you think about the brain, you still need the distribution. You still need the content creation. You still need kind of at the beginning of it all, the ideas. And that really comes from marketing. And so, you know, I always talk to my team who sometimes says, oh, are we going to exist in a world of artificial intelligence? Well, yes, because so much of marketing is about a different level of understanding and emotional connection with individuals. And a lot of that comes through the ideas and the way that those ideas ultimately get expressed. I think the AI is helping us significantly in reaching the right people with the right message. A great example is where we use it is when we know an individual comes into a branch, we know the two or three things that would be of value to them to talk to them about because we know what they have with Wells Fargo. We know their experience. We often have triggers uh, that we've identified that someone comes in and we know that they've been uh, looking online at mortgages, as an example. Uh, so we're able to actually enable our bankers, um, either in the call centers or online or in branches, to have the right conversations. And it's incredibly powerful, but the content of those, of those conversations still involve a lot around, you know, what is the offering? How is it positioned? What does that discussion look like? If it's done through email or through digital on us or off us, what's the creative? Um, so the marketing side still has a huge role to play, but it's to me very exciting to have partners in data and technology and innovation that are creating that brain that's going to help fuel that. I mean, a great example, we, uh, we did some work with the um, NBA and, and uh, previously during the playoffs, we've done some with Major League Soccer as well, where we've been able to um, customize kind of in the moment the creative content based on what's going on, both in terms of the games as well as with our customers and giving our customers an opportunity to, in essence, shape the content. And that would never have been possible 10 years ago, five years ago, even three years ago. So that convergence of the creativity and being able to harness that with real-time data and targeting is really compelling. Well, and like you said, because you're working with such a large digital footprint that you know where the people are in their journey, right? Like you can you can look at that kind of 360 degree view of the customer. It's because they can touch so many different, you know, products and services that you offer that you can, you, you can see those folks in a different way. And one of the things that when you take like a time like this during a crisis, during the pandemic, um, where that's so valuable in terms of how you can help is because 
they're going to go to you, right? Like they're not going to go, like there's no, you know, phone number you can call at the federal government, right? There's no door that you can walk in. Right. But there is at your local Wells Fargo and there is a phone number that you can call and say like, hey, I can't pay this bill or I like, what happens if this doesn't, this doesn't happen? And I think that for so long, um, you know, I think over the past like 20 years with the rise of call centers and the rise of, uh, you know, outsourcing all sorts of different things that we've kind of lost a little bit of, you know, this, our ability to, you know, to like answer the phone and like actually just, you know, help people who are kind of dealing through something. And it's kind of like the doctor, right? It's like, you only go when you're sick. Like you're not calling, you know, you're not calling Wells Fargo to chat. Um, although I know that some people do, you know, go into the, <laughs> go into the, go into this, uh, the, your local, you know, branch and just hang out on a Friday. But, um, but it, it's such an opportunity for, um, the marketing team and the CMO to be able to understand why people are going to do the things that they do and offer exactly. help in a time like this. Yeah. I mean, I would, you know, one thing I add that, cause I think it's such a good point, Ian, is that. You know, the one, I always think the unsung hero of of marketing in some ways is the insights and analytics function. And I will tell you that it's the heartbeat of marketing is that ability to really understand what are customers telling us in terms of what are they signaling in terms of their needs and their desires and in the moment, what what they're seeking. And so it's interesting because even at this moment, a lot of what the marketing function is doing is serving as that. Um, aggregator, if you will, of what are we hearing in social media? What are we hearing in terms of customer service calls? What do we hear from third, you know, from third party research that tells us what's on people's minds? And we just completed an email to our customers where we basically said, look, here are the three things that we know our customers are most looking for right now. And we've gotten all this positive feedback because it hit on exactly what most people were asking. And so that ability, as you said, and it's not creepy at all because it's actually, it's the signals, as you said, that our customers actually want us to pick up on. It's really important to think about how, how you harness those insights and those analytics to help your whole organization be a better servant to your customer. And I would say it's one of the most important things that marketers do. Um, and, and I will tell you when we had our initial crisis, that so importantly, uh, we were ready because we had a lot of polling and research, like real-time research going on, that we were able to help inform our leadership of what was happening and how people were perceiving us and how we needed to, you know, to tack with our messaging and move into different directions. And as a marketer, I think those signals, both quantitative and qualitative, are hugely important. And it's the one thing I worry sometimes about is that that gets lost a little bit. Um, and it's true that people give you real-time signals in terms of how they navigate your website. or But a lot of the signals they give you may not be what the, how they're interacting with you currently, but things that they actually really wish you could help them with. So this is a great point, and I'm glad you brought this up, because this is the old, like, well, everybody always, you know, clicks on, you know, this, this, and this, so we need to make more of blank. But it's like, you know the thing that they're not clicking on? the thing that doesn't have a button, right? And so like the right, idea is like right. the marketer needs to figure out through like customer, you know, feedback and and talking to prospects and and actually, you know, f- figuring out what people want and leveraging sales to do this. Like what is the buttons that we need to create on the website 
that people would want now, right? And that's the thing that's exactly. really tough, I think, because you don't have, if you don't know where that is. And I like to think about like a marketer's challenge in a reductive state of like, how confusing is 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 your website is how hard your marketing job is. It's like, you know, if you have, you know, the Procter & Gamble has a million SKUs, right? So it's like, that's a pretty tough challenge because you got to figure out a lot of different ways to do that. Um, but I think that that is one of the things that like, you know, we rely so heavily on data and analytics, but if you're not putting the right inputs into it, then it's going to be really difficult to to create the right outputs. And that's like the art versus the science piece. Exactly. And I think that's a great, I think that is a great point. Cause, and I think the challenge for all of us, and as a professional, you know, I think about my own, how do I continue to develop and continue to lead the organization is to learn from what other people are doing. And to your point, you need to, we need to challenge ourselves that how do we take the complex and make it simple? Uh, because we know that human nature is you want something simple. Although I will tell you an interesting insight in a lot of industries is if it's too simple, then people question it. So we even know that in financial services, sometimes if it's, if it's viewed as too surfacey or too easy, is there a catch? <laughs> right? Like, so there's a really interesting back to your point of really knowing your customers um, and being able to test and learn your way into some of these uh, and different customers are react differently, right? Some customers will, if you give them the one button, they'll do it. Other customers actually want to go through here are the five steps uh, because they want the confidence that they've been vetted or that they're, we're not going to turn around at the end and, and say no in a different way. And so it's very interesting to, to your point, to really think about that balance between the complexity and the simplicity uh, and how to balance those two. Um, and it is the art and the science. And I think, you know, that's the fun part of marketing, right? I mean, I think that uh, for my career, I know having been in financial services, but also having been in other industries, uh, that that balance of emotional and rational and art and science uh, is what makes being a marketer so exciting. And, you know, sometimes makes it hard because you have to connect into organizations where sometimes the organization is all, right? science-based or rational and other, and rarely is that organization all creative. And so sometimes it takes some extra navigation, but I know for me, you know, part of being a, a better leader is to continue to look out in that marketplace and the landscape and not only understand what our customers want and need, but how are other industries and other companies fulfilling that need, right. In a different way. Yeah. The, the complexity thing reminded me of, uh, and I don't know if this is actually true. You might know the answer to this. Isn't it something like ATMs uh, could just spit out your money right away, but like they, but it it pauses so that it feels like you're like waiting for something, like that it's like you know <laughs> some behind the you know whatever uh, behind the machine gears that are working to get your money out of some say maybe I made that up. I don't know. Well, actually, but you know, it's an interesting one on ATMs I'll share because I think, again, it's a lesson for all of us. To your point, way at the beginning, where we talked about kind of this idea of one-to-one -one versus mass marketing and how do those work together for individuals. But, you know, our, our ATMs, one of the most powerful things we've ever done is wish people a happy birthday at the ATM. And oh. I've had people say to me, oh, I love my ATM. My ATM wished me a happy birthday today. And what they're telling you is, wow, you in a very, to your point, kind of inhuman channel made me feel like a recognized person today. And that's something, by the way, all of us as marketers can do is find those moments that are opportunities to make somebody feel good and valued. And it doesn't have to take away from the sales experience or take away from, it, it can be additive to anything. And I think it's so powerful uh, when we can do things like that, that actually 
leverage something we know about that customer to really make them feel like we actually care about them, right? That it isn't just about the transaction. We've talked about a little bit, you know, how to deal with focusing on your customers during a crisis and figuring out ways to help and surface content. Um, I'm just curious from, to take a step back, like stuff like this, not to this scale necessarily, but has happened before times of crisis. I'm curious, like what would be your advice to your fellow CMOs and marketing leaders um, to, to market during a crisis? Because we need to keep the lights yeah. on and we need to keep going. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you know, and your listeners know that about four years ago, we had a what I call self-induced crisis, uh, which is we had a sales practice um, scandal at the company and we were really rocked by that. And so I will say that this crisis to me, again, because it's more of a global crisis, has a different feel to it. But there is something to be said with that every company is going to have a crisis and it could be a self-inflicted crisis. It could be unique to your business, your company, your industry, or it could be a global crisis. And I think there are just some certain tenants as you go through it. Cause I actually think that coming out of a crisis is absolutely the opportunity to either come out significantly strengthened or significantly weakened. And it's that it's the truth of any relationship, right? Which is in a moment of truth, is somebody there for you or not? And this is a moment of truth for lots of companies and lots of industries and lots of uh, relationships. And so I think very intentionally saying, as we come out of this crisis, what do we want our customers to say that we did or were there for them is really important for any marketer right now. Not just navigating the day-to-day. That's really important too. I mean, we have a lot of things day-to-day we need to be telling our customers about how we're here to serve them. But more importantly, or as importantly, eight weeks, 10 weeks, three months from now, when people hopefully, when we all hopefully come out the other side of this, who are the brands and the companies that are, that customers are going to say, wow, I'm sticking with them forever versus, huh, you know, this eight, 10 weeks of not being around that brand or that company, not sure I need them. Not sure that's the right relationship for me. So I think it's a really um, important thing to, at the beginning of a crisis, which it's hard to do when you're in crisis mode is to actually think about what coming out of that crisis is going to look like. And then use that as a lens for everything you do during that crisis, which is how often are you communicating? Are you being transparent? Are you being knowledgeable and helpful? Where are you engaging your customer? Um, How often are you engaging your customer? What are you offering them that's relevant or meaningful? You know, all of us right now are getting lots of emails. Some of them I open up and say, are you kidding me? Like who in their right mind thought this was the right message right now? And others, I say, wow, they're so sensitive. They're so aware of what the psyche is of the customer right now. And so I think that ability to, as marketers, right, to think ahead and think about know who you are as a company, know who you are as a brand, and then make sure that you stay true to that, not only within marketing, but across your company is so important right now. Yeah, it's important to have, it shows why it's so important to have values, right? Because when it's a time of crisis, you can go back to your values and like reinstill those and make sure that people understand that when you don't and you don't have a purpose and you don't have those things, then you kind of have to, you know, fly by the seat of your pants. Exactly. And, you know, I'll share with our, you know, when we went through our crisis, a lot of, you know, we were very fortunate that a lot and partly to what you referenced that we've been around a really long time and people have a sense of history with Wells Fargo. Uh, It really was the strength of that relationship and that emotional connection to us that kept people through a really hard time. And we had customers say to us, you know, 
I read about what's going on with Wells Fargo. That is not my Wells Fargo or that's not my bank or boy, you know, I don't like reading about that because that's not how I think of you. And I think about that all the time because I think about, you know, what they say, right, which is that trust, um, you know, is is earned over time and, and loss. It's earned in drops and lost in buckets. And I think that's so true is that it just takes one moment to lose trust and it takes so long to build it. But if we, during a crisis, think of every interaction and engagement as an opportunity to build that trust and, and deposit more into that future trust, uh, that's how we're thinking of it. It's how do, we, how do we earn that back and earn that more significantly now than ever? If you're there for somebody during a crisis, you're there, they'll be with you for a long time. I mean, people really do. It's just like any relationship that people will invest in the relationships that they feel invest in them, right? I want to talk about advertising and like large scale brand campaigns for a little bit because a company like Wells has, as we've said a bunch, you know, a, a bunch of different types of products. But at the end of the day, you know, people um, who aren't satisfied with a particular product, the way they talk about it is they talk about the brand, right? It's like they're not going to say right. like, oh, well, I, you know, I, I hate the small business product for whatever, you know, that might happen here and there. But generally speaking, you know, the word of mouth that, you know, brand marketing really wants to accelerate is about like the core brand and Wells Fargo has, has you know, a global brand that uh, that is recognized. So I'm curious, like, how do you think of your like brand advertising, sponsorships, things like that? Um, you know, slapping your logo on something that you think is valuable. Like, I'm just curious with that scope and scale. Um, like, what are the like the the mechanisms that you're trying to achieve? Yes, I think that's a great question uh, and not an easy one, by the way. But I do think this idea of as you describe it, really that belonging to a brand, right? Like you can think of brands where people love the brand. They may not even like the product, right? But they learn to like the product or they like, you know, great example. I'll use probably, you know, you could argue it both ways, but like a Coca-Cola where people love the brand. Not everybody is drinking Coca-Cola, but they yeah, love that point. brand, which is why things like the polar bears, right? Mean so much. And then there are other companies, um, that goes through, and I hate using names on things like this, but you know, that, that you can think of that people need and want the product, like of like a car services, right. Or um, where people need that product and want that product, but may not love those brands at any given time. And so the, the challenge is how do you get both of those? How do you get to where you have products that people need, want, and love. But I think the, the real victory comes from having a brand that people feel good about and want to associate with. And so when we think about our, our true brand marketing and brand advertising, if you will, it's more operating at that level, right? It's, it's, you know, we have a lot of dollars that are hardworking against the rational products that we, and solutions that we offer. And, you know, we feel really good about that. A lot of that is lower funnel marketing. It's the right thing to be doing. But when you think about brand and how we show up with sponsorships and how we show up, um, you know, more at that level. A great example is we do a program every holiday season now called the Holiday Food Bank, where we turn our banks, right, our branches into food banks. And we've done it three years in a row. And what we've learned is it accrues to the company in so many ways. Our, our employees get very actively involved and volunteer in the community. It gives them a huge source of pride. Uh, we donate to Feeding America and to food banks. We collect food in our branches. So it's it's very multifaceted, but it's all about this is the kind of company I want to be affiliated with. 
it's not, you know, it is not about open your next checking account here or your next mortgage. It's very much about that next level of engagement and of emotional connection. Um, and to me, that's what's so important as a marketer is that it's really easy to get caught in. We just have the best product and they're going to always come to us for the best product. But again, there are companies that you go to for the best product, but it doesn't, they don't have permission to offer you something else because you don't actually love the company. You just like that product. I think for financial services, it's so important that you want people to actually feel good about the company because you want them to be able to have multiple products and services with you because that's when you can serve them better. Like we can serve people better if we actually have more of their financial services because we can help take a holistic view of that customer and their relationship. Uh, so it, it's, it's self-reinforcing. It benefits the customer and it benefits us. But to do that, we have to have a connection where people say, that's an institution that shares my values or represents something that's important to me, whether it's about the environment or about where they, um, what nonprofits or foundations they support, right? Whatever that may be or what causes we align ourselves with. Uh, but the Holiday Food Bank's been a really great example because each year we kind of continue to build on it. And what we have just found is people, it so resonates with people. And it accrues back to our businesses, but not in a one-for-one -one direct way. It creates a halo that really does like all the boats rise, which is what I think a good brand campaign does. Yeah. And I think, you know, if brand is your, the customer's experience is the brand, right? Like how they engage with you and talk about you is what you're kind of like, you know, your brand's score is, then the point of brand marketing is to remind them that they feel this way, right? So that they hopefully tell their friends about this great kind of experience exactly. that they had. And so I, you know, I do, I wonder, um, you know, if, if you slap your, your logo on a NASCAR or, uh, you know, the, the naming rights to an arena or, you know, whatever it is, that is something and say, hey, we want to get closer to NASCAR fans, or we want to get closer to, to basketball fans, or we want to, you know, do whatever it is. And we just want like broad reach of appeal. And, and the reason, you know, one of the things that, that Wells Fargo did, so Wells Fargo used to be a customer of mine um, when I worked in a previous company, because uh, Wells Fargo has a huge veterans program and military spouses program and hire, you know, tons and tons and tons of those folks. Um, and so Wells Fargo was a sponsor of the military spouse of the year, which I was involved with. And, um, and it was just like one of those like hyper niche communities that those sponsor dollars really went a far way to support, you know, military spouses for in, in that respective. And I and I'm just so curious about the idea of like brands and communities and how a brand can, you know, value add to communities rather than slapping their logo on things. And not again, not that putting your logo on stuff is a bad thing. Um, because it's a reminder of of who you are. But I, I'm just so curious about how brands could have deeper impact with those brand dollars that goes, you know, the, the next step beyond uh, whatever that is. So anyways. Yeah. Well, I think it's a great point. You know, it's interesting. I mean, we are in the fortunate position, if you will, that we have very high awareness. And so there's no question that as a brand that's starting to, that wants to create awareness, in theory, just showing up in a lot of places does create that awareness. On the other hand, I would argue to your point that I would probably want fewer, more high quality interactions than just a lot of interactions. And so to your point, I think a lot of what we try to do with our sponsorship strategy 
is make sure that we're stratifying it based on exactly that. What are the geographies that are important to us? What are the segments that are important to us? And then how, most importantly, do we show up within that? And that's your exact point. It isn't about slapping a logo on something. It's about some element of a connection that reinforces something about the brand at a higher level. And so we, you know, we really do strive to make sure a great example is that we had a, a business called Control Tower, which allows people to kind of manage their credit cards that are all over the, the digital you know, environment. And we did this campaign around basketball where customers could control their experience in viewing the game. And what was great about it was, with, um, was that it was a way to do a sponsorship and an integration and a partnership that really was about reinforcing a core value of our company, which is we want our customers to be in control. And so I think a lot of it is what you choose to sponsor, but also how you show up in that sponsorship. And so exactly to your point, I think the, the days of, you know, if you have a lot of budget and you really need awareness, then some of the you know, putting your name on a building is important. I think we have tended to go more to what enables us to make an emotional connection or to storytell, right? So we sponsor something called No Barriers, which is back to your veterans, uh, an organization. It doesn't help millions of people, but it helps thousands of veterans and others um, persevere through their challenges. And what we found is that that story is very resonant. And even if the sponsorship doesn't necessarily in and of itself get viewed by 10 million people, the stories that come out of that sponsorship are so resonant with hundreds of thousands of people and has created a very strong bond with people who experience it, even if it's fewer people. So we think very much of a portfolio approach. I think most people do around sponsorships, which is, you know, ensuring that you have a very strategic approach to which things you sponsor. And then, as I said, really think about how you show up because uh, it's really tempting to just think about the fact that people see the logo uh, versus what is seeing the logo actually do for them um, and how they view your brand. I love that. And I love that you said how you show up because that, that is feels feels like it's the right way to go. And if you're, if your unit of measure is impressions versus your unit of measure of is engagement, like one is really easy to quantify, the other is not, right? And that's why I think people struggle to figure out what levels of engagement that they have with those things. And yeah, I, I think that that's, um, I think that that's a great, great lesson. Um, do you have a favorite horse uh, of all the stagecoach <laughs> horses? That's a great question. You know, it's really exciting. We actually have a uh, a ranch in Wyoming that we don't own, but we have uh, someone who does on our behalf. And I will tell you that the, the horses that I always love are the ones that um, are rescues. And we have a lot of our horses that are rescues and, and the individual who takes care of them um, incredibly well is so unbelievable. And to me, it's always been sort of the heart of our company to say that we, you know, it's an example of what we do, which is we take care of people and we help them be able to be the best that they can be. And we happen to do that through financial services. Uh, but I think that, um, you know, luckily we are able to also do it in the case of our horses sometimes. But I think that, you know, finding something in your company or your brand that personally touches you and then figuring out how you bring that to life. Um, for me, a lot of that has historically been about the stagecoach program because it's such a important part of our heritage, but increasingly it's other things. But I don't know if that's something I, I'm glad you asked the question because I'd probably leave people with that, which is find something in your, in your company, in your business that, that really does touch you in a very personal way 
and use that as a motivator and as power to tell your brand story. And if you need an additional helper, uh, producer Hillary is a horse extraordinaire, and uh, she rides like every like every day. I don't know all the time, and uh, really? so just you know throwing that out there. You know, if you need somebody to go out to Wyoming, uh, we the Great Marketing <laughs> Trends we podcast, we can we can check it out. <laughs> Great, um, always looking for good people. The the final piece on that is. Um, I think it's really interesting, the idea of like going through the mental model of like, if you were to build a museum for your company a hundred years from now, what would go in it? Uh, because you manage 11 museums uh, or 12, what is it, 11 or 12? Um, and so I, yeah, I think that that's an interesting idea for marketers out there of like, what would be in this museum, um, not just of your company, but of the the broader community um, that's involved because I think that's an interesting kind of uh, thought experiment. Yeah, it is. And I think to your point, I don't think people necessarily think today about what their company is going to look like or stand for 10 years from now, because we're in such a rapidly changing, innovative driven society. But I do think it helps ground you on what you should be focused on when you do think about what, at least from a brand perspective, right. And a customer perspective, yeah. How would you tell your story 10 years from now? And I think about that all the time, right? How do we, how is what we're doing today going to add to our story of the future? And hopefully it does so in a really positive way. Okay. Let's get into our lighting round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing on the world's number one CRM. Lightning round questions. Jamie, are you ready? I'm ready. Number one. What app on your phone is the most fun? <laughs> um, oh, that's a good one. Um, I'd, I'd say Instagram because I get to follow my kids. <laughs> Favorite TV show or podcast that you're binging right now? Oh, it's the New York Times Daily. And then uh, the binging is Schitt's Creek, one of the best shows ever. I haven't watched it yet. I need to watch it. Do you have a hidden talent or passion? Uh, uh, gardening. It's probably my hidden passion and baking, two of them. What is your favorite thing to cook or eat? Certainly chocolate chip cookies, um, which unfortunately is a, a legacy from much too much of that in my college days. <laughs> but they're easy and they're always satisfying. Best advice for a first-time CMO? Focus on your customers and your relationships with other leaders in the company. And the rest will, the rest will follow. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? Uh, what would be the one thing if we could do that would make the biggest difference in the fill in the blank? Our customers, our communities, our marketplaces, working with our government, right? Just would be, what would be the one thing without any constraints that would make the biggest difference? Do you have an answer for me or just the question? <laughs> just a question. It would all depend, right? Awesome. That's it. Any final thoughts or anything to play? Everybody, obviously, check out Wells Fargo. You're, you're, you are, you know, one in three of you are customers, so I'm sure you know them well. But uh, Jamie, <laughs> th thanks so much for coming on. Yeah. Any final thoughts? Uh, no, thank you so much, Ian. It's just great to, um, I have such respect for all of my colleagues and, and others that are in this world with us because um, it really is as we've talked about so much heart, so much mind. Um, and we're all in a, a shared kind of right now, especially right. A shared world where we're learning from one another. And so I just appreciate the opportunity to do this with you. And I, 
I love hearing other people talk about their opportunities, their challenges, and I'm really excited because I think that out of what we're experiencing right now, there will be so many new avenues of communication and engagement and ways that we can serve our customers. And I just think that that as a marketer makes this, even though it's a very hard time in the moment, I know that as we come out of this, it's going to be a great opportunity for all of us in our profession. So thanks for having me. Couldn't agree more. Stay safe, everyone, and uh, wash your hands. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.